Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Unapologetic on the Ball's Life Podcast Network. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Also, there'll be stuff on YouTube. Maybe not this one because it's not visual, but other ones. Stuff on YouTube. So, uh, I am Will Posden. I'm joined by Las Vegas Aces Center, Kia Stokes. Hey, hey. And Golden State Warriors uh, guard, Mike Mulder. What's up, yeah? Uh, so, we, you know, it's... It's been a crazy week for uh for everybody. Kia just landed in Turkey. Uh but we're we're gonna talk about some stuff that has nothing to do with anything basketball. We're gonna start off <laughs> by talking about Squid Game. Last week we talked a little about Squid Game. Kia uh said that she's into it. Then after that, LeBron said that he uh is into it. Both of them don't like the ending. Uh I started watching it because of their mutual recommendations and it it's crazy it's a show about people who are in so much debt that they're willing to not risk their life playing children's games but Um, over three quarters of them die playing children's games like it's it's more than risking your life it's almost guaranteeing that you will die uh yeah pretty much and the fact that me and lebron think the same way about the ending me and him are basically the same person so yeah, no, <laughs> take me for the Lakers and make thirty million dollars a year. That'd be great. I think I think that season two, if by season two you and LeBron are watching the show together on his couch with his family and stuff, we'll have done something very right with this podcast. Yeah, I want to be his um oldest adopted daughter. Can't wait. It's gonna be great <laughs> The question here's my question though. Is the fact that Squid Game even exists, like, does the fact that the show is not only exists, but it's so relatable that people are watching it in every single part of the planet, is that a giant problem that this show is resonating with everybody on Earth? Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm talking a lot and that mic talk, but I will say <laughs> one thing. The only reason I actually watched it is because I was scrolling on Twitter and I kept seeing these memes and jokes that I didn't understand. And I felt really left out. So I binge watched it so I could be included. And then it just happened to be a good show. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is everybody's. See, that's why I kind of want to hop into it, too, because I, I keep seeing it all over the Internet. Um, I always find it interesting when, like, things resonate with people all over the world. I find Netflix does a good job of that, um, like dropping their exclusive movies and stuff like that. Put pressure on other companies to do the same, um, like even other shows. You're talking about um, Squid Games being dark, but it's like this isn't the first time Netflix has dropped like a darker show that's resonated with the crowd. Like, um, what was it last year? Um, was it uh, Hill House, that haunting of Hill House? Um, Yo, that was, that was like super popular too. Everybody was talking about that. And in the same way, I think I was seeing it on Twitter, like you said, Kia. And it was like, oh man, maybe I should go tap into that. And I end up binging the whole episode or the whole, yeah. the whole series. <laughs> so it's like, I feel like that's what's coming up with me with Squid Games. Um, 
like everywhere I go, I can't escape it. So it's like, I'm going to have to binge this whole thing at one point. So I, you're definitely going to have to, I mean, you're not going to be able to escape the memes because the color palette of the show is so perfect for memes. It's like a cross between Willy Wonka and like Goodfellas. Like it's just, it's all flowery and colory. And then at the last moment, it's just like, oh, this is the creepiest thing in the world. And the music, man, that soundtrack, Kia, <laughs> Kia is that soundtrack stuck in your head? Um, the little jingle from the red light, green light. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this is so creepy. And that ugly ass doll. Like, ugh. yeah, Mike, you gotta watch it. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely, I'm definitely on my way in. So the the next thing I got on our docket is uh is a basketball conversation that the entire world is having, and it's close to my heart because I'm a Kyrie truther and uh the Kyrie truthers have not really gotten a voice in this conversation, but let's let's talk a little bit about this Kyrie vaccination story that, I mean, we can recap people real quick because I'm sure everybody's heard 10 people talk about it. But basically, uh, Kyrie had said that he thinks that the vaccine is a personal issue and the world should not have access to the information of whether he's vaccinated or not. And that was the starting point. So, Mike, uh, you're one of his peers. Let's start exactly with there. Like the the amount of spotlight that's on NBA players and the amount of interest. Should NBA players be obligated to disclose if they're vaccinated or not? Um, yeah, like in regards to this whole vaccination issue, obviously it's been kind of an issue around the league. Um, you know, we got like 95% of guys vaccinated. Um, but I do understand where Kyrie comes from in the sense where, um, I, I believe people's medical business is their own. And, you know, I don't think, I don't think, you know, whether or not they get, they get a vaccination should, should really have an impact on whether or not they can participate in their sport. Um, but this is something that's happening all over the country right now. Um, and I think that's something that he was trying to make a point of and make people aware of is like how many people um, nationwide are affected by, by the mandates. Um, you know, people are losing their jobs every day. Um, people who have worked their entire lives at their career uh, are being affected by this. So I think that's, that's a big point that he's trying to push. Um, but at the same time, um, I kind of do understand from the other side, like um, if I was, if I was in his locker room and, and it was his teammate, you know, it'd be disappointing for me to, to say, look, like he's willing to sit out the year um basically based on these mandates uh i i heard he, he had said something like he's not even anti-vax uh he's more like anti-mandate which is kind yeah. of like i i could understand it a little more if he was anti-vax um but as a teammate if he's anti-mandate um i don't think that should that should like really take a front seat to like our success throughout the season and you know being being obviously the starting point guard of the brooklyn nets like there's a there's a responsibility to to be there and show up to work. So it's like it's kind of it would be concerning as a as a teammate and from from that perspective. But I can understand his personal beliefs um, in regards to like how many people have been affected by the mandates. Um, and I understand other people's personal beliefs um, whether or not they want to take the vaccination or not. Um, like you know, there's some people who who don't even take Advil when they got headaches or or anything like that, any type of medicine. So. Basically, I don't think um, I don't think anybody should be forced to choose between their job and and obviously like getting a having a medical um, decision. 
Uh, and I think that's where, where it's unfortunate. But at the same time, I do feel like the responsibility does lie with him as a starting point guard of the Nets. Um, like, you know, there's there's obviously that pressure to, to do that. But um, being, being a guy in his locker room, you know, it would be disappointing for him to be willing to sit out the season based on this issue when he's not really anti-vax. You know what I mean? Well, so that's why I was so excited to talk about it because there are – there's some – you know, Kyrie's not just – any other player in terms of the talk that's been around him in terms of the stuff he's done in his career and in terms of what he's stood for and the way he's tried to stand for things. Like he reminds me a lot of, of Kanye in the way that he'll try to stand for something and, you know, get something a little bit off in a way that everybody finds a problem with, or other times Kyrie will, take a stance on an issue like with sitting out during the bubble season and people want to have a problem with it. And then he makes it clear that he feels really strongly. And then he can get some people on board who might've had a problem with it, or at least shut up some critics. Uh, But so before I wade into this theory that's out there about why Kyrie might've did what he did, that's a little less, you know, it's it's a theory that's percolating places. Uh, Kia, have you uh, have you had conversations about what Kyrie's doing with with teammates and what? I'd be curious what the sentiment is um, or was around around the WNBA with him being so connected to a lot of players. Um, towards the end of our season, like during playoffs when we had media, a lot of us were getting asked about the NBA players' views on the vaccine. And basically my answer was, I'm a mom, my business. Um, <laughs> because they're messing up their money. Like, we basically had to get the vaccine in order to, like, technically to be able to, like, leave the house and go eat. Otherwise, we could get fined or whatever. So if Kyrie doesn't want to get it and he wants to stand on that, that's, you know, good for him. Uh, he better be very strong to give up like $200 million. Um, I seen a tweet the other day that said he could inject me with uh, cheese whiz for $200 million, <laughs> And I think I felt that. But like I said, teacher zone, my biggest issue with the whole thing is like, he's saying, you know, well, not he, but like in general, like it's a personal choice. It's my decision. And I'm like, if that's really the case and people are behind him, then like that needs to be the case for everything. AKA abortion, which is like a whole other topic, but like you can't pick and choose like as a, as a country, we can't pick and choose which ones we want to be like, Oh yeah, we deserve to have this choice, but then we're going to take the choice away from women, like in a different situation. So like I said, if he believes in it, that's good for him. And he wants to stand by that. Um, great. If he really doesn't feel like he wants to get it, that's, you know, good for him, but it kind of sucks as a teammate because this is a serious you know, disease, virus, it's shut down the world for two years. Like, you can't take it lightly. To me, this is different than, you know, what do I want, Coke or Sprite? You know, this is something that your decision affects a lot more people. And um, so if he doesn't want to get the vaccine, that's only fair that he stays away from his team. Like, there shouldn't be an option to be able to, you know, be someone that could easily transmit this this serious issue um, just because he don't want to get it. So if he wants to do a standby, I I loved what you said about um, comparing it to personal issues around abortion and that kind of stuff, because that is where so the Kyrie truthers in general, if you're part of that community, they always take his decisions to where is the bigger than basketball place of this coming from? 
like mm-hmm. even down to him leaving Boston or him saying that the world is flat, they always go, what's the bigger than basketball explanation for why he might've done this. And they always come up with interesting stuff. Uh, and in this case, it's no different. And I actually want to discuss this idea because it's so interesting, whether this is Kyrie's real reason for doing this or not, it's an interesting idea. So Mm -hmm. in New York city right now, it is mandatory for players on the Knicks and the Nets to be vaccinated. And the reason that it's mandatory for them to be vaccinated, it's a couple of reasons. One, the idea is that they do their job indoors. And two, the idea is that they're role models in the community and people can look up to them and kids will know that the vaccine is a good idea because these players are getting vaccinated. Conversely, it is not mandatory for New York City police to be vaccinated. And the Kyrie truthers believe that Kyrie talking about, I'm just a hooper. You don't like that? I'm just a hooper. Why are people looking up to me? And it's mandatory for him to be vaccinated as a role model. But that same role model expectation isn't put on police, even in a city like New York that is trying to hold police to a higher standard. You don't like that? You think that that's reaching, Kia? If the if the Knicks and the Nets got to be vaccinated, the police got to too. Like that's what I'm saying, but they don't. That's what Kyrie truthers are believe that Kyrie is shining a light. And I'm gonna stop saying Kyrie truthers because I believe this. I just don't think that other people should believe it because I believe it. I'm not saying like, (laughs) oh, you guys should believe that Kyrie is trying to be Gandhi. I'm just saying I kind of <laughs> like living in a world where Kyrie is Gandhi with a way better handle, like a way better handle. Nobody could argue that Gandhi has as good a handle as Kyrie. <laughs> no way. <laughs> not even close, especially when he wasn't eating. Like if he's not eating, he's not even like Kyrie's 11-0 and that's it. I, I just think it's a little bit of a of a stretch and, and it's a little extreme to say, you know, Kyrie's more obligated than, you know, New York City police officer to get the vaccine just based on what his profession is like. Yeah, look at the job. Police interact with citizens every day. Exactly. Every single day, you're ha- and a lot of the times indoors, you're having a close quarters interaction with the citizen. No, I mean, if, if Kyrie is really this smart where this is his rationale, it's a, I mean, it's an excellent point. Like, why would you want to live in a community where the police weren't vaccinated. But I think it goes back to the LeBron shut up and dribble argument where I really don't think those things are mutually exclusive. Like LeBron can care as much as he wants about running a school district in Ohio and still losing the Western Conference Finals to the Warriors. Like both of those things are good things that can happen, right? Right. No, I just think it's, I think it's unfortunate that um, like, you know, there's an obligation or there's expected to be an obligation on Kyrie to be vaccinated because they think, you know, kids are going to look up to Kyrie and say, oh, the vaccine is OK because Kyrie did it. It's like I, I understand there's there's certain things um, that come with the job. And obviously there's a there's an image that the league wants to uphold for its players. Um, like there's things like the, the dress code and obviously our conduct off the floor. Um, that they take really seriously, and it's it is for that reason. It's because so many kids are watching, and you know, um, we we do have the opportunity to to mold a, a good model for the youth. But when it comes to when it comes to like a medicinal situation um, and what you believe you should or should not put in your body, 
I don't think I don't think Kyrie or any other player should really be held to a standard of like you guys have to be the model for citizens across the United States, basically because you entertain them. Um, right. Like, you know, that's not something that's not something I think is his obligation or part of his job. Like he, I, I believe that he's he's obviously supposed to conduct himself in a certain manner, but when it comes to like his his choices on his medicine, I don't think that should be like, oh, you're, you're supposed to have an impact on on the youth here by getting a vaccine or by not getting a vaccine. Like that doesn't really seem fair from my standpoint, just just looking at Kyrie and he, he's a smart dude. Like he's not he's not just saying things just to say them or, or standing on on beliefs. Like I don't believe he hates basketball and doesn't want to hoop. Like that's the last thing I think. Yeah. Um, but like you know, I think I think those extra pressures on him to to do something um, that he's not feeling comfortable with doing, you know, I feel like that's a little bit of an unfortunate situation that you wouldn't run into, um, like you said, if you if you had a different perspective um, or a different job, you know, I don't think I don't think people would be pressing him so hard. It wouldn't make the news, obviously, the way it has um, in this profession for sure. And I also with. Uh, with Kyrie, I think that he has a lot of smart people around him. I mean, people know that uh, his sister is a very talented artist and she's part of the art community of uh, Brooklyn and North Jersey and New York, like that whole tri-state area. She's probably con connected to a lot of thoughtful, talented people. And I know that Kyrie, it's, it's, Another thing that I think links him to Kanye in my mind is I know that he's trying to take big stands that'll help a lot of people. And it's a hard thing to do. And also, you know, some people like it's a learned skill where I don't think Kyrie is at the Obama level yet. He's still, you know, a few decades away from being able to have that much of a impact with a gesture. But I think he's trying to learn that skill. So I always try to give him some benefit of the doubt. Uh, and and I point to things like him buying a house for George Floyd, Floyd's family. Like to me, that just speaks to a guy who is trying his hardest to get it right. Even if, you know, so, like people point to the situation in Boston and they don't like how he handled that. But to me, that's like learning curve stuff for what he's trying to do. So in the practice podcast, we talked a bunch about the album of the year race, which was already just picking up. Like we had the Tyler album, which was amazing. And we had a few other ones. And then we knew that Donda and Certified Lover Boy were coming. And, oh, and Off Season had just come out too. So there were a bunch of great candidates. And I want you to, I want to talk about if you guys think that there still is a race because... I've been listening to Punk, Young Thug's new album, Punk, for the last three days. That's all I've been listening to. And uh, I've always felt like Jeff Jeffrey's one of my 10 favorite albums, and I always felt like it was his magnum opus. And now I don't think that anymore because I think Punk might be the best thing he's ever did, and I think it's the front runner for album of the year. So, Mike, I want to start with you. I know you probably haven't listened to it yet, but in your mind, <laughs> can anything compete with the off season or, or is it going to be a stretch for you? Like do, in your mind, you hearing me talk about punk, do, are you worried for the off season or is that your front runner right now for album of the year? No, no, I'm worried for you. Um, but, <laughs> but, but no, I, I tapped into <laughs> punk a little bit. Um, you know, when, when Thug, I feel like Thug drops a lot of music and I always tap in. Um, that's one of the things 
like those are the albums that are always on when you're in like a weight room or, or a workout or something someone's always playing a young thug album so i always get like a an overdose of the young thug album so i you know i have a i have an opinion on them usually and they're always good like honestly i really like uh i really like the album um i haven't totally finished it i think i got like three quarters of the way through it um but i do really like it um i just never like I, I love Young Thug. I just always feel like I could just put take a bunch of Young Thug albums, um, grab a couple songs, and drop it into another album. And it's just like it's always kind of the same. Like no, yes, except except Jeffrey. Jeffrey see, is the Jeffrey one. See, Jeffrey was totally yeah. Jeffrey was totally out there. I agree. Um, and it was no. That's the different. thing about Thug is Thug's A game is Jeffrey. But his B game, which is everything else, is still really, really good. But he rarely like when he made Jeffrey, it felt like he was trying to take Lil Wayne's spot a little bit, which is incredibly hard to do because Lil Wayne's to me the best rapper ever. Right. So he really since Jeffrey, he hasn't really went for it in that way. I'm a, I'm a super fan of his. Uh, I'll just put that out there. And uh this felt like the first time where he was like, I'm going to make another classic, classic album. So I'd be interested to, I, I, let me just say this about the ending. It ends with one of my 10 favorite Mac Miller songs. Like the, the last song on this album is to me, the best ended album since damn. Damn. I, I loved I love to hear that. Honestly, I'm, I'm going to check it out after this. I'm a big Mac Miller fan. So I'll definitely, I'll definitely be able to feel that. But um you know with, with young thug i feel like his his albums are always great i just the only thing i could say about it is the same thing i said about the drake album it's like it was just like another really good drake album but at the same time um like i i do appreciate like seeing an artist expand and kind of like go beyond where they've been before and that's what that's what really like pushes kanye's album on me is like you know obviously he he took that step and, and he always is looking to take that step. Whereas a lot of guys, they kind of stay in their comfort zone. Um, and with Young Thug, um, like nine times out of 10, I find like I get, I'm like pretty ready for what I'm about to receive with, with Young Thug's music. But no, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I would push it above um, Certified Lover Boy or, or Donda. Well, I'd, okay, I'd put it. You got to put it above Donda. Above Donda. Donda has one song. Will? Look, so this so this is has one song i would listen to again and that's the one with the weekend and little baby like yeah donda look if we're doing the album ranking of the year race for me it's thug's album tyler's album off season certified lover boy and donda's clearly last even if uh that weekend song is like one of the better songs of that whole group for sure I'm, i'm i think i'm taking like i'm taking Certified Lover Boy, Off Season, Punk, Donda. I think that's how how it's going for me. Yeah, okay. I'd probably do that too because I didn't definitely ain't hear the Tyler album still because I'm really not his biggest fan, <laughs> and um, I haven't heard Thugs either. But I do like a lot of his stuff. Um, but I guess I've never actually just like, oh, let me go pull up this Thug album. Like I feel like I just be hearing his hits that's on the radio or like in the club. Um, that I don't go to anymore. Um, but <laughs> I just feel like. But you know, hear from right outside. You're right outside listening in just to yeah, hear. Yeah, exactly. Hits. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> no, I agree. Um, I like that. I like that Thug puts out long albums, though. Like a lot of times, like I think this album's like what, like an hour and 15 minutes long or something. Like that's long mm-hmm. for an album these days. So yeah. I do like that. But it's like 
to listen to an hour and 15 minutes straight of thug like i don't know if i i don't know if i really do that like, i could do that with some other artists but young thug i kind of like take his his highlights and keep it moving personally yeah i i hear that i mean i i like listening to jeffrey the whole way through but his other songs i'm just listening to when i'm listening to like his general spotify channel but that's right. why it's so exciting for me because also like the thing I love about him is he wears everything like on his skin. Like he has no, whereas I look at other guys like J Cole and Drake and Kendrick as a little bit more strategic. I look at thug at thug as just so like, so transparent. And when he was trying to be, when his priority was mentoring Gunna, it was so clear that he wasn't even thinking about himself like that. Right. But now this album for me, I mean, that's the ASAP Rocky post Malone song. Like, that's a song that I feel like would be a single if people weren't sleeping on this album. Right. Hmm. Now I'm very curious to listen to it since you speak so highly of it. I, oh, I really think like it's it. the front runner. Uh, to me, it's the front runner for album of the year, but that also depends on a couple of other things. Like maybe if Thug were to have some crazy photo shoot that came out and or some magazine cover thing, like he always he can do out of the box stuff that is just so fun that like he pushes the envelope in ways that to me, the only other rappers that push it like that are Lil Wayne and Andre 3000. Hmm. That's great company. Yeah, no, he's definitely not. He's not uh, afraid of pushing that envelope. You're, you're damn right about that. <laughs> it's, it's real possible. It's real possible. So uh, let's, let's close from one person who's a, uh, having a career renaissance to another. Uh, Candace Parker, in her first season with the Chicago Sky, NBA champion. Keo, where where does this rank for you for the all-time sports accomplishments? Like, what would be a parallel for you? Um, if, like, is this, does this remind you of, like, the second Kobe run with Paul Gasol or maybe that last Tim Duncan run or what? Or, or is there something different? I was really just stalling to give you some time to think. All right, and I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess not on the same level, but it's like LeBron going back to Cleveland and bringing yes. the championship. Like, Candace went back to Chicago. She's from there, although she didn't, like, play any of her, of her career there um, until this year, so it's not quite the same. But I think it's incredible to be able to go back to your hometown and bring a, them a championship, especially – for Chicago on the women's side who haven't, hasn't won. Uh, so now they have that. And it's kind of crazy because if you look at the Chicago's regular season, they were not good. I mean, they were good, but they were like average, you know, middle of the pack. They were the sixth seed. Like how often are you going to see out of eight teams, the sixth one is the one that's the champion, um, which is incredible. It's, it's great um, for the city of Chicago. It sucks for everyone else, especially me, because I wanted to win. Um, <laughs> but like I said, like they did well in, the one thing I want to emphasize is you can't overlook her teammates. Like Candace is a great player. She's a great leader. Uh, she did help bring a championship back, but they played team basketball then, and that's how they won. Like when the playoffs started and they got their all cylinders clicking and working at one at once, you can see that they're a great team and they had so much talent on the roster that it was it was hard to beat them and it showed. I mean, they beat Connecticut, who had only lost like six times in the regular season. So it was impressive, and I'm happy for them. Like I said, I'm a little salty, but 
you know, I'm I'm happy. I know it's going to be a great feeling, and hopefully I'll get to experience that within the next couple of years. That's what I'm going for. I'm going to put it in the universe now. I love it. Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, no, I just thought it was super dope. Like Kia said, like her being from Chicago and being able to come home and win the championship there, um, like obviously that's a different experience. Not not a lot of players get to go through that. Um, so to be able to see that and see like the raw emotion in her um, after that victory was like, you know, that was really heartwarming to me. Also, um, when you were bringing up like the the second Kobe run with uh, Pau Gasol and stuff like that, like um, it was it was really cool to see like her daughter there too. So it's like, um, her daughter was there when she won it the first time. Um, and she was like really small, like she was a baby. If I remember right. Um, when she mm -hmm. won in like, what was it? 13. I think she won it in. Um, yeah, let me look and, that up. and now it's like almost 10 years later, um, being able to share that obviously with your family, uh, in your hometown, like there's no experience like that. So, um, I agree with what Kia said, like I, every, I think every athlete aspires to have a moment like that. Um, before it's all said and done. And it was really good to, to see her get to have that moment uh, in her hometown. And, you know, like that, that's just something that I don't think, uh, I don't think a lot of people really, really know how that could, how that could feel. Um, but I think that's something that a lot of athletes, that's their, that's their goal at the end of the day. So uh, it was really good to, to see her get the job done. And, and like he said, yeah, no, they were the sixth seed. And I don't think that's the team that a lot of us expected to, to put it together like that. So Seeing them be able to obviously overcome that adversity and, and you know, kind of prove people wrong by, you know, I think a lot of people counted them out a little bit early. Um, so, you know, obviously seeing them find that success was awesome to watch, too. Yeah, it it's uh, it set things up in a really interesting way for next season because you have four or five teams that are going to be going really hard because it's just there's a lot of talent at the top and with Chicago joining that mix of Connecticut, Seattle, and Las Vegas, and then other teams are going to come back even better. It's going to, it's going to be a crazy season. Uh, that's, that's it from us this week. My name's Will Posden. You can follow me on Instagram at Will Posden. Uh, Mike, let's start with your, uh, where they can follow you. Yeah. You can follow me on Instagram um, at Mike Mulder 11. Uh, and on Twitter, I'm just at Michael Mulder. And Kia on instagram and twitter kstokes41 and thanks for listening and uh we'll see you next week <laughs>